Lord God, we just thank you this morning that you are the cornerstone, that you make the weak strong, and we just thank you for this time of worship this morning, Lord. We thank you for the word that informs our lives, that guides us, that teaches us, that changes our hearts. Lord, would your Holy Spirit do that through the word this morning? Would you prepare us to hear the message you have for us, Lord, and would it be proclaimed into the hearts of all of us here, because we need you so badly, Lord, and we thank you that you came, that you died for us and for our sins. It's in the name of your Son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. I'm going to move this little guy here. Oh. Children ages first, four through first grade are welcome to head to Children's Church at this time and enjoy that. The rest of us can hang out in here. So as you see now, I've been blessed to be involved with Giving Hearts Day for the Lutheran Brethren Seminary. They made a video of Holly and I. It's a little weird showing a video of myself, but I'm glad that Holly is in it. She always makes me look better, so... Thank you, Holly, for that one. And, but, you know, I just really want to emphasize my gratitude for the support of Oak Hill Church over these three years, not just financially, but the prayers and the words of encouragement you've given me. I'm so thankful to be part of this community. I'm thankful to have grown up amongst you with my family in Christ. It was a gift. And since many of you have known me for so long, you might know a little bit about my journey to seminary. That video probably wasn't super stunning for you, but... Part of my involvement with Giving Hearts Day was working with our seminary president, Dr. David Veeam. Some of you might know him. He's an absolute gem of a human being. But he wrote an article about the calling of a pastor, and he used a bit of my story for it this past month. He's a great writer, so obviously he did a great job pointing everyone to Christ, and certainly not to me, because many of you know my story is filled with twists and turns that I wouldn't really recommend to any of you. Um, But he starts the article with these words. He says, Drew seemed, keyword seemed, to have it all. And when the article came out this past week, I had a close friend of mine call, and he said that he saw the article and he just started laughing. (laughs) And I asked, well, what was so funny about it? And he goes, that first line, man, you know that's not true at all. (laughs) And I laughed too, because he's so right. I didn't have it all, and I doubt that I seemed like I did to most of you. But, you know, I will say that as Dr. Veeam interviewed me for that article, it did give me a chance to reflect not on the immaculate business career I was giving up because I worked in finance for four years and I was really just a, not a big deal, but I got to reflect on the turning point that caused me to go to seminary in the first place. You know, that's really what Dr. Veeam was trying to highlight, how it was the Lord's call and how powerful and how graceful he is that sent me on this new journey. You know, as God would have it, the lectionary text for this week happens to be all about the way that God calls and sends people. So there's a purpose to me sharing this. I promise I don't enjoy just talking about myself. This morning, we're taking a look at Luke 5, when Jesus calls his first disciples, Simon, who later becomes Peter, so we'll call him Peter this morning, and James and John. It's perfectly fitting because the main takeaway here is that these stories of God's call, they're not this big, like, exclusive thing. It's not about the chosen few. Becoming a disciple and serving God is a calling that goes out to each and every one of us. Not just those that happen to work at a church or missionaries, but to all God's people. Right where you are today, in whatever vocation God has you in. So the question I hope we can answer is, when was your turning point? Or better yet, when is your next turning point? 
For me, one of the biggest points or turning points of my life came when God gave me the desire to go to seminary. He did that when I was working at a job where every Monday morning I'd show up to the office and I would realize that getting to pour into the youth group the Sunday night before at church was the best part of my week. And nothing I would do at the office for the rest of the week would feel even half as fulfilling as those two short hours I spent with those youth students. So the watershed moment came when I got to spend a week serving at our youth convention in 2017. During that week with those amazing youth students and pastors and leaders, someone asked the question of us, what would you do today if you weren't afraid? Deep in my heart, I felt that familiar call to be a pastor. It was a desire I also felt back around 2005, but it took over a decade for Jesus' powerful call to overcome my fears. By 2018, I was submitting an application to LBS. I've been on this adventure with you all ever since. The point is, that's just one guy's story. And there are millions more people that God has called and transformed. He did it for me, and he does it for you. So let's read Luke 5, 1 to 11 this morning and see what God did for Peter, James, and John and the turning point that they experienced. It goes this way. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. They saw at the water's edge two boats, left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on you'll fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. You know, one of the biggest buzzwords of the last decade has been the word follow. You know, it's everywhere. We follow the news. We follow sports teams. We follow movies and shows. We follow the celebrities that are involved in what we follow. We follow the influencers that interact with those celebrities. We follow pages that follow the accounts, that follow the influencers, that follow the celebrities, that follow the sources that create our culture. Did I miss anything? There's no limit to what we follow these days. What do you follow? Or better yet, who do you follow? Or maybe I should ask, who follows you? Are you looking for more of a following? It's honestly incredible how much we're influenced by the things we follow. And I know some of you might be thinking, well, I stay off the internet. But do you read books or magazines, the newspaper? Do you listen to music or the radio or natural 
followers because we're made for relationship. And following is a big part of relationship. What and who we follow does matter, and that's not new at all. And if I made you a shirt listing the top 10 things you follow and made you wear it around, would you be proud of the list? Would you be proud of what you pay the most attention to if your brothers and sisters in Christ could see? I'll tell you right now, I wouldn't be that proud of my own list. When we read the, the words of Matthew 26, 21, we see why we might not feel that good about our lists. Matthew writes, for where your treasure is, or maybe we could say, or whatever you're following most closely, there your heart will be also. Your heart will be also. So whatever it is that we're paying attention to is shaping our hearts and our lives intimately. Where is your treasure? What are you following? Is it stuff that is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent or praiseworthy? The way that Paul exhorts us to to look at stuff. If you're a sinner like me, then it's probably not all the good and godly stuff like that. Though it might not be all bad either. I'm not lobbying for legalism here. Sports are okay. But we all need to pay attention to this text today and see why Jesus is worth a follow. I mentioned this earlier, but I just want to say it again. We can't read a text like this and just write it off as something special that doesn't happen to us. This miracle that Jesus does to call his disciples is just like the miracle he does in our hearts when we come to faith in him. Peter isn't unlike us or somehow above us. You've got to remember, this is the same Peter that denies Jesus three times, and he has to be restored by Jesus on these same shores of Galilee. Jesus called him and he never gave up on him, even through some hard times. So we have to see Peter's call is just like any of our own. Jesus' invitation to come along and be fishers of men is extended to us. We get to come with. It's all because following Jesus is a way, is the way to a life worth living. Any decision to turn away from whatever we've been following and go back to him is always going to be the best way for us. Peter's story in the text is honestly so relatable, isn't it? Like so many others in our world today, Peter and the guys had heard of Jesus. They knew about him. They knew what was said about him. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus had already cast out a demon in Capernaum, and he healed Peter's mother-in-law. He was becoming famous, an influencer, you might say. And the crowd was so large that Jesus needed to get a better vantage point, and so he asked to get on Peter's fishing boat. He could tell they were done fishing because they're washing out their nets. But then he tells them to cast them back out again. I mean, that's an inconvenient request. To say the least, that would mean they'd have to wash said nets again. And more importantly, these fishermen were probably exhausted. I mean, think about it. They've been working all night and they hadn't caught a thing. Who knows if they were frustrated, maybe worried about putting food on the table. They might have been on the very verge of giving up on fishing altogether. We don't know. But we can all relate to those feelings when we try and try again, but can't seem to get ahead or catch a break. Failure can be hard. 
You can almost hear the exasperation in Peter's voice when he replies to Jesus. He's like, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But, reluctantly, but, because you say so, I will let down the nets. Some translations say, at your word, I will let down the nets. You know, church, often the word of God comes with an idea or a command that we're not loving at the time. But we later see that it's exactly what we needed to hear and do. That was obviously the case for these fishermen, despite the audacity of this carpenter's son telling these pro-fishermen when to fish and telling them to fish at a time that's notoriously a poor fishing time after they had just failed during the good fishing time at night— they still just reluctantly try. That's such an important point for us to notice. Peter obeys. He's willing. It's not that Peter was so special or so gifted. In fact, he had literally been failing all night. But Jesus gives him the desire and the willingness to serve. That's all because Peter had just heard the word with a capital W. Jesus does the same for us when he calls us through his word to be a disciple. He provides the willingness to serve because the gospel is unlike anything else we encounter in life. And it's not because we're so great, but because he is. He's worth following. He's worth serving. He's worth throwing the nets down even when we're tired and broken and struggling and failing. But it's not because of the great catch. Yes, they wind up with two boats full of fish, so much so that they're nearly sinking. But God's miracles don't produce financial or even earthly gain. That's not the point. It's not a prosperity gospel. These miracles produce faith. Faith that lasts. They evoke this faith that obeys Jesus' commands, not because of what we get, but because of who he is, who he's shaping us to be. Peter realized that this was truly the Son of God. The real miracle isn't that God can control the fish that he created. It's that the word became flesh. It's that God came to earth as a man and lived among us. And Jesus here is willing to prove it's really him to Peter and to us. He does it in almost like a fun way. He just fills their boats up with fish. And what does that realization do? You know, I would want to, Jesus, you want to be my fishing partner for life? You know, I mean, that's your, that's kind of your first thought. But that's not what happens to Peter. It brings Peter to the ground. It's humbling. Lots of turning points come from our knees, the feet of our Savior. That's why we obey him. Following Jesus gives us a willingness to serve, but then it gives us humility. It brings us to our knees in awe of our God and who he is. Peter knew he was a sinner, but when he met the word of the Lord, it was overwhelming Sometimes there's nothing left to do but get down and confess. Holding on to our Savior, dear life. That's what faith looks like. 
We can look at Peter's confession in verse eight. It says, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. That right there is a statement that I can relate to. Something similar has come out of my mouth. Maybe it's come out of yours too. Being a disciple of Jesus means that we can expect a lot of confessions. A turning point always begins with a confession. Confessing that the way we're going is wrong. And that leads to repentance. Acknowledging that we have to turn around and go the right way, God's way. That's when we pray, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I've been trying to lead myself and following others, but I want to follow you. You're the one in control. Lead me. I'll go with you. You know, I was met with the same realization at YC17 that humbled me. Like Peter, I felt like my sins were too great for Jesus to even be with me, much less for him to use me or make him a past, make me a pastor or do anything he's asking me to do. I was afraid that I wasn't enough. Too sinful to follow and serve. Too sinful to be with Jesus. Do you ever feel that way? Maybe this morning you're questioning if God wants to use you or can use you. That's the first step to acknowledging and accepting this gift of humility. It's lowering ourselves. But the next step is knowing that by the power of Jesus Christ, God will exalt you. Not by your own merits, but his. Matthew writes this, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Man, there's so much power when we realize that our fears are based on our own potential to fail, not God's. We might not be able to do what he asks of us. We can't follow Jesus on our own, but God wants to do it for us. He wants to take us with him and do it together by his power. Like Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 to 10, I love these verses. Paul writes, but he, meaning Jesus, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. That's the truth. Can you hear the difference in following Jesus than following anything else in this world? We delight in our weaknesses, in our hardships, when we fail. Because then we'll get to see God work. We'll see his power. We'll see his miracles that produce faith, that strengthen our faith. He is so strong. Why would we doubt that a God so powerful could use us no matter how weak we are? It's never been about us. It's always been about him. Jesus doesn't leave sinners. He seeks them. He wants sinners to follow him so they're saved And he will use them to save even more sinners. These first disciples weren't anything special. In fact, if you read the Gospels, you'll see they go on and make plenty of mistakes. What matters is that they go on and they don't go alone. 
That's another thing that following Jesus gives us. It gives us a new and a transformed life together. Life together. What Peter, James, and John witnessed that day is what following Jesus is all about. He gives us a willingness to serve. He gives us a humility to be in awe of God and to repent when we mess up. And he gives us this new life together with him. God's call is not a lonely one. Mission isn't meant to be on our own. It's meant to be done every day together. In this passage, Peter's the one that bows before Jesus, but James and John saw the miracle too, and they were just as astonished as Jesus reassured Peter, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll fish for people. What an interesting statement. You'll fish for people. First, Jesus knows that the feeling of unworthiness Peter has comes from his fear. Fear of God's holiness and purity. Fear from knowing that he doesn't even deserve to be in the presence of God Almighty. But Jesus tells him not to fear. Just like God told Joshua when he was supposed to serve by leading God's people after Moses died and he was afraid. In Joshua 1.9, God says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Why? For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. That's what matters. Be with you. God wants us to be courageous and not afraid, not because we can do it on our own, not because there's nothing to fear, not because the journey will be easy, but because he will be with us every step of the way. He'll never depart from us. Regardless of our sins, our abilities, our doubts, our fears, our weaknesses, he will be with us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the truth. Nothing can separate us. Jesus doesn't invite these disciples to go on this journey alone and separately. He doesn't give them individual journeys. He invites them to come with him together. He invites them into a new life. A life where they'll be transformed. Where they won't even care about fishing anymore. They'll just care about who they're following. Going with Jesus is all that ever matters. If God could use a simple fishing net during the worst fishing time of the day to catch two boats full of fresh fish, imagine how many people he could catch in his huge and expansive net of grace. That's the type of transformation God wants to see. Hearts that go from the old way of fishing for earthly things to hearts that are made new and want to see more people caught up in grace. Hearts that are willing to put themselves out there because they know even if they fail, they can fall at the knees of Jesus and be lifted up and strengthened again. Following Jesus leads to a transformational life of serving with brothers and sisters that will never be the same either and doing it together with reckless abandon because of who you're with. We see what those three men did. It says that they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. That's the confidence we can have when we're following Jesus. We don't need to bring anything. Nothing we have can even go with us where we're going into eternal life in heaven. The new life leaves everything behind except for Jesus. 
And he's everything we need for our adventure, for a new life, a life that can't die because of what he did on the cross. The phrase fish for people is a curious one in Greek. It's a very specific verb that's not used too often, and it means catching alive. It's more of like a hunting term or a battle term for when one that is captured in battle or during the hunt is spared. So you can see how these fishermen that have always lived by catching live fish and killing them for food will now be catching men dead in sin and making them alive through faith in Christ. It's a complete 180. It's a turning point. The old being made new. A life worth living from the source of life that's so worth following. These disciples were never the same. And neither are we when we come to faith. We become a new creation. But God's grace is endless for those who have been transformed by Jesus. The thing about a turning point is we can never have too many. There's no limits. We can never become too willing to serve. We can never spend too much time humbly falling at the feet of Jesus. We can never run out of opportunities to be made new again, to have our hearts transformed. As fishers of men, we're caught in the same net of grace and gospel that we cast out to catch more at his word. We can always use a turning point. So why not have one every day? Why not start the morning with a humble confession? Why not be reminded that Jesus tells us, don't be afraid, and invites us to serve with him? Then we can see that we're all called and we're all on a mission together, following Jesus as one big family of fishermen. Whether you're up all night working and feeling tired and weak, or whether you're needing to cry out for forgiveness for the first time or the thousandth time, Jesus is calling to us from shore to leave our boats and leave everything else behind, to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and just go with him. We may not always know where we're going, but we know he's coming with us. Picture your loving Savior standing there looking at you this morning with a smile saying, come on, get up, follow me. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your word this morning, Lord. We're thankful that your calling isn't exclusive, that you don't depart from sinners. Lord, we're thankful that you give us a willingness to serve you. We're thankful that you humble us and teach us again and again to rely on you and your power, Lord. We're thankful that you are strong and your power is made perfect in our weakness. What a blessing, what a gift that is, Lord, for us weak sinners that get to just go with you. Lord, would you strengthen our hearts? Would you use your Holy Spirit to help this church to seek you and be a church of fishermen casting your net of grace out for more people, not because we're so great, but because you are amazing. Thank you for the gift that it is to know your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.